going to conclude uh, what we've been talking about these last few weeks. We've been doing a study on the book of Haggai. Uh, interesting book, interesting book, and uh, one which took place around 520 B.C., and yet the message of the book is as relevant to us right here today as anything else is. Um, and if you haven't had a chance yet uh, to uh, follow along in the, the Bible reading plan, the time is now in the YouVersion Bible app, I would encourage you to go ahead and get started and do that. Even though we're wrapping up our study of the book today, it'd really be a perfect time to, to log, log in and, lo and do that study. It just takes a few minutes each day uh, for, I think, 14, 15 days, something like that. Um, and it'll help reinforce everything uh, that we've been talking about. How, how, let me, let me sh see a show of hands. How many people have the YouVersion app on their phone? Okay, how many have never heard of it? Okay, a few. Um, it, is a, it is a Bible app that um, I use every day. Millions, literally, around the world have downloaded it and use it. Um, it has... I don't know how many different uh, translations of the Bible in English. It has it in other languages. It has, you know, you, you, you can read along. You, there, there are different Bible study plans that will take you through either books of the Bible or the whole Bible or studies on topics and guide you through that. So it's a great tool to use for getting familiar with God's Word. So if you haven't downloaded, I'd encourage you to do it. And if you haven't started the, the, uh, the plan, the time is now, which I know a number of you have. Um, if you haven't yet, then it, this would be really a good time to, to start it. And hopefully by now, after seeing this video for three times, you've gotten a, a, a fairly good grasp on the background and the message of the book of Haggai. When Haggai, the prophet Haggai, when he came with the message saying the time is now, it's time to get back to building the temple, they got started again and things went well for about a month and they got discouraged and they quit again. So last week as we talked about this, we talked about discouragement and we saw the way to defeat the discouragement is to do two things. He says, the message of the book, he says, be strong and continue doing the work. In other words, don't give up. Continue, can, you know, be strong and continue to power through it. Continue to press through. Yes, it's hard work. Yes, it can be difficult. But he said, that's the way you're going to get through this. And we looked at the promise that we have that we're given in the book of Galatians that if we don't give up and if we continue doing the good that we know we're to do, that eventually we will reap the harvest. We will see the results if we don't quit too soon and give up. So, but, you know, that's where we struggle. Because if we saw the results that we want to see, we would be encouraged and we'd be motivated to keep going, right? Because things, you know, we're seeing what we want to see happen. Things are going along. It's like, yeah, I'm going to continue this. This is great. I see, the, you know, what God's doing and, and we're pressing ahead. But the problem is we struggle with the same thing that they struggle with. And the problem that they struggled with was this thing called conditional obedience to God. Conditional obedience to God. In other words, as long as God does the things that I want, as long as I see him working everything out like I think he should or I want him to, then I'm cool with that and I'll obey him. But 
as soon as things don't go my way, or as soon as something I pray for doesn't happen, or when the cost gets too high, then I'm out. I'm gone. And we see this happen all the time. You know, someone will, will decide, I'm going to follow Jesus, and they come in church for, you know, a month or two months, maybe six months, whatever it is, a period of time, and then they keep praying for something, and something they ask God for doesn't happen, and what happens? They bail, and they quit coming. You know, you talk to them, and, they, and, and you hear things like this, well, you know, I tried God, I tried this church thing, but it didn't work for me. God didn't answer this. Or, or he didn't do that. You know, I've been coming to church and reading my Bible for two months, or I've been tithing and coming for six months or whatever, and God still hasn't fixed my life. This stuff doesn't work. I mean, how many have heard people with things like that? Yeah, you know, this you know, it just doesn't work. Totally ignoring the fact that maybe they've spent 30 or more years sowing destructive behavior in their lives, and they think that, you know, overnight, God's just going to snap his fingers and make everything rosy. And it just doesn't work that way. You know, everything isn't this wrong isn't fixed overnight. And, and, you know, then we give up. Now, sometimes things are changed overnight. I gave my life to Christ in, on the last Sunday of July in 1978. And when I took that step, there were some things in my life that I saw immediate change. Immediate change. There were other things that have been a lifelong process to struggle with. So, but not everything changes overnight. Um, you know, and we, we, when that happens, sometimes we tend to give up. Or if we're told something we don't want to hear, we ignore it, acting like we didn't hear it. You know, we may, maybe we put a magnet on our refrigerator that says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do, and he'll show you which path to take. Yeah, God, you know, that's awesome. Thank you for that promise. And then we panic when we can't figure things out. Or maybe we read where Scripture says, Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Suddenly you think of that person who's been cut, undercutting you at work, and you think, not them, Lord. No way. You don't know what they've done. Think about that statement. You don't know what they've done. You know, they've hurt me too deeply. That's conditional obedience. As long as I don't have a problem with what God asks of me, or as long as the cost isn't too high, then I'm okay. Otherwise, forget it. I'm out. Here's the thing about obedience <clears throat> that we need to understand. Conditional obedience is not obedience at all. It's simply doing what I want to do. And the fact that it may happen to line up with what God has said doesn't make it obedience to God. Obedience is when I do what God commands regardless of whether or not it's what I want to do or regardless of what I perceive as the outcome. Obedience is when I do something simply because God said to do it, not because it's what I want. And we live in a culture that struggles with obedience. We don't even like the word 
We don't like anybody telling us to obey. We don't like the word obedience. Let me tell you, I am from a generation that was born, that was birthed in rebellion. The 60s and the 70s, when, you know, when I grew up, I was born in 56, so the 60s and 70s is really when I grew up. It was all about rebellion. A whole generation. We grew up in it with an attitude of nobody's going to tell me what to do. And we could, so we don't like authority of, of any kind. you got to stick it to the man. Right? Am I right? It, 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 it permeated throughout our entire, my entire generation. But when God speaks to us, <clears throat> he doesn't speak to us in suggestions. He speaks to us in commands. That's the thing. He doesn't say, you know, Dave, maybe you should try loving your enemy. That might work. You might see something happen. No, he says, Dave, love your enemy. This is, what, this is the way to live. This is what I want you to do. He doesn't say, hey, if you like what I'm doing, you're welcome to hang out with me. No. He says, follow me. He didn't say, you know, think about what I'm doing. Or, 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 or think about doing what I say, rather. Think about doing what I... No, he said, if you love me, then keep my commandments. Now, our God is a loving God. He is a merciful God. He is long-suffering, and he is full of compassion, but he also wants and expects our obedience. And it becomes easier if we, once we begin to truly realize and believe, not just in our head, but in our heart, that the things he tells us are really, I hate to say for our own good, because all of a sudden it brings up images of our parent telling now i'm doing this for your own good you know but no but it really is what is best for us and what is for our own good that's how life works the best when we when we do live by what he tells us and if it's not there in one area of our life it affects every other area we can't go to god and and, and say, okay, I'm going to obey you in this area and then totally ignore him in this area over here. One area affects all the others. Haggai talks about this as he talks about the corruptive power of sin in our lives. Now, earlier in Haggai, we, we uh, uh, learned that the people's hearts were not really with God. I mean, they had a long history of idolatry. God wasn't their priority, but, they, but because they had put their own houses uh, ahead of God's house. So Haggai the priest, Haggai asked, asked the priest, he says this, he says in Haggai 2.12, if one of you is carrying some meat from a holy sacrifice in his robes, in other words, something that had been sacrificed and, and dedicated to God, if one of you is carrying some meat from a holy sacrifice in his robes, you know, he, he's gathered up his robe and he's carrying it, and his robe happens to brush against some bread or stew, wine or olive oil or any other kind of food. Will that food become holy? And the priest said, no. No. He says, no, just touching something that's holy doesn't make what it touches holy also. Holiness is not something that rubs off when it touches something. You know, just hanging out at church each week doesn't make a person holy. You don't become holy just by virtue of your parents living godly lives. Think of it like this. Say I go out back 
And I'm going to once again try my hand at gardening, which I've done and failed so many times, it's not even funny. But I'm getting in there and I'm digging in the mud and I'm, you know, pulling up weeds and I'm putting seed in the ground, I'm planting it, packing the, the, the dirt over it and watering. Get, get, and my hands are full of mud. Just, just think of it that way. And I go inside and I pick up an apple. And then I realize I just mixed two stories together and forget that. I go and start over. I go inside with my hands all muddy. I go inside and my hands all muddy. And I go into the washroom and I just touch a bar of soap. Are my hands clean? No, not by any means. They're still full of mud. <laughs> I really screwed that one up, didn't I? And then, you know, uh, uh, <laughs> I'm totally... Okay, and then he asks another question. Now it'll make sense. Verse 13, Then Haggai asked, If someone comes, becomes ceremonially unclean by touching a dead person and then touches any of these foods, will the food become defiled? And the priest says... Yes. Back to the story I just screwed up. You know, I'm working out in the mud. My hands are all muddy. And then I go inside and I pick up an apple. What happens to that apple? Will it become dirty? Yes, because my hands are full of mud. In other words, this is the whole point of, uh, of this. Sin is like a disease. It's It's contagious and it spreads, and it has power to corrupt. Tom Crean, our former IU basketball coach, once said, moody players can cast a dark cloud over a practice and a program. The leaders of a team never accept that. Don't be afraid to confront. Um, that showed up, I had posted that five years ago and it showed up yesterday in my time hop. Moody players can cast a dark cloud over a practice and a program. The leaders of a team never accept that. Don't be afraid to confront. He's saying that the wrong attitude of one player can infect an entire team. It's contagious and it's the same way with sin. That's the point that Haggai is getting across. The Apostle Paul said it this way. He said, bad company corrupts good character. Then Haggai gets pretty bold and with the people, and he says this in verse 14. Haggai responded, This is how it is with this people in this nation, says the Lord. Everything they do and everything they offer is defiled by their sin. Now, why did he say this? Why did he say everything they do and everything they offer is defiled by their sin? And what does that mean? First of all, it doesn't mean that everything they're doing is evil. It says everything, he says it's defiled by their sin. The issue is this. The issue is what's in their heart. You see, they had been involved in idolatry, which means something other than God occupied the highest place of honor in their hearts. We think of idolatry today, we hear that word, and we think of someone, you know, in another country, bowing down to a statue or some kind of image, it's made of gold or stone or whatever and worshiping it. But the reality is, anytime we place something or someone other than God in the primary place uh, and the center of our heart, that's idolatry. And it's anytime we put something else 
ahead of God, anything in our lives. When the Jews did that here, when they turned their hearts away from God, every area of their lives was affected. In other words, as Haggai said, everything they did was defiled by sin because their entire lives were affected by it. When our hearts aren't right with God, everything we do is defiled. I'm reminded of something that Jesus said in Matthew 5. He said, if you go to church one day and you're about to give an offering and you remember that you know, something's not right between you and another person, then leave your offering at the altar, go and reconcile with the person, get your heart right, then come back and offer your gift. Now that may not be easy to hear because reconciling can be hard work, but God says you need to do that because of, of the, the heart is so important. God values obedience more than sacrifice. We can come and we can write a check for $500,000 and, and give it to the church or give it to a, a, a missionary or, or some organization and say, oh God, look what I did. But if our heart's not right before God, it doesn't mean anything. It doesn't count for anything. See, He wants us to obey Him because we, because we love Him, not out of obligation or, or, or because we want Him to bless us. We obey God because of who He is. We obey God because we love Him. We want to honor Him with everything that's in us. And this is why getting our hearts right matters so much. So look what He, said to the, uh, what he says next in verses 15, and se- 15 to 17. He says to the people, he says, look what's happening to you. Or, yeah, look what was happening to you before you began to lay the foundation of the Lord's temple. When you hoped for 20 bushel crop, you harvested only 10. When you expected to draw 50 gallons from the wine press, found only 20. I sent blight and mildew and hail to destroy everything you worked hard to produce. Even so, you refused to return to me, says the Lord. A couple of things about this. Remember we said earlier in a previous week, we said that it's because when God established his covenant with his people, he gave them blessings and curses. He said, he said if, you know, if you, if you live by this covenant, you live by you know, this way, which you agreed to do, which they did, they, they, Israelites agreed to do that. If you do that, then these blessings will be on your life. And if you don't do that, then there will be these results, these curses uh, on your life. And one of those things was drought was a big part of that, and that's what they had been experiencing. So, so you know, that's something that, that we need to recognize here is going on, but he, here's something else we need to see. All of these things that happened, it wasn't that God was up there saying, all right, you guys blew it now. I'm going to get you. And punishing them like that. It wasn't, it, it wasn't that it did. He was trying to restore the people. He was trying to restore them to a right relationship with them. He was calling them back. And we need to see this. Sometimes when it seems like everything that can go wrong is going wrong, and you know, we go to God and say, Lord, change this situation of mine. You know, make everything stop going wrong. Sometimes he doesn't change our situation because he's more interested in changing our heart. And the situation we're in is the way that he can get to our heart. 
What's inside here is a whole lot more important than what's outside. And the Lord wants us to know that more than anything else, He wants our heart. More than anything else, He wants our heart. Everything we do comes from the heart. Everything. I want you to write down these scripture references. Proverbs 4.23 and Hebrews 4.15. Proverbs 4.23 and Hebrews 4.15. Proverbs 4.23 says this, Above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Everything you do is affected by the condition of your heart. And that's why the Jews, when Haggai spoke to them, he said, you know, or God through Haggai said, you know, everything's become, everything you do is defiled because your heart's not right. And then Hebrews says, in, in 4.15, says, watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you, corrupting many. Watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you, corrupting many. In other words, keep your heart right. God wants our heart to be right with Him. We should be way more concerned about the condition of our heart than we are about the comfort of our circumstances because God's more concerned about that. And now we come to the most amazing part of the story. As we're wrapping up the book of Haggai, when all was said and done, God got a hold of their hearts. God reached them. He, he, he got through to them, and they, he, they, their heart, in their hearts, they returned to God. And they did start rebuilding the temple again. They did start to obey again. And when they did, God's blessing once again returned to rest on their lives. And it's not so much because they obeyed and did the right things, but because their obedience came from a right heart. Their hearts were right with God. Their obedience was the result of their hearts returning to God. They listened to God when he said, now is the time to return to me. Now is the time to build the temple. Now is the time not to put your own houses first, but to put his house first. The time is now. Their hearts received the word of God. And in their hearts, they repented. They returned to God. And then let's look at what the Lord said. This is amazing. I love this. Verses 18 and 19 of chapter 2, Haggai. Think about this 18th day of December, or the ESV translates that as consider from this day onward. And they checked the calendar, and, and you know, that's how they got the 18th day, but because they checked the original language in that. But consider from this day onward. Think about this 18th day of December, the day when the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid. Think carefully. I'm giving you a promise now while the seed is still in the barn. You've not yet harvested your grain and your grapevines, fig trees, pomegranates, and olive trees have not yet produced their crops. But from this day onward, I will 
bless you. He's saying, mark this day. Circle it on your calendar. Mark this day. I'm giving you a promise now while the seed is still in the barn. In other words, it's not yet harvest time. In fact, the seeds you haven't even planted yet. There is still so much work to do, but from this day onward, you will see my blessing on your lives. He's not promising that there won't be tough circumstances as they move forward, but he's saying they will be able to look back at that day and they will be able to recognize it as a pivotal day, as a turning point in their lives. They will be able to look back and see that day as a day when, when their lives turned a corner and God's blessing began to fall once again on their lives. And it was because their hearts were once again right with God. And that's what God is after. I can point to that day in July and say, my life has been different since that day. Yes, I've had struggles, I've had disappointments, I've had discouragements, I've had ups, and I've had downs. Times when I felt like I was on top of the mountain, and times when I felt like nothing was going right. I've had both of that. But I can look at that day, and look from that day until now, and what I see is God's blessing on my life. Doesn't cancel out the struggles, but it sure gets me through them. We may, be, we may be obeying outwardly, but yet inwardly be rebellious or discontent. And if so, we're just giving lip service to God. And we don't obey God just to get his blessing. We obey him because we love him. And with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, we love him. That's what God is after. He is after our hearts. He wants our hearts. And if he has that, you won't ever have to worry about, am I obeying God or not? Am I doing the right thing or not? Am I doing this right or not? Because when he truly has your heart, you're going to do the things that God asks of you. You're going to know the things that please him. You're going to learn the things that please him. Teach me your way, O Lord, and give me uh, 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 an undivided heart. That's my prayer regularly. Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your, in, your, in your truth. Give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name. Psalm 86, 11. He teaches us that. And if we start to veer off path, as we all do, the Holy Spirit comes along gently and begins to guide us back on path where we need to be. So let me ask this. Does Jesus have your heart? Does he have our whole heart? Not just is he part of our lives, and I'll include him in this part of my life on Sunday morning, but then Friday night, Saturday night, you know, I'm just going to put him back there, leave him home while I go out and whatever. Is he a part of our life just on Sunday morning and, or, or do we take him with us Monday morning when we go to work or we go to class? Is he a part of our life or is he our whole life? He wants our whole heart. 
and he doesn't expect us to understand everything before we give it to him, there's still questions I have. There's still things I totally don't get, still things I totally don't understand. But my heart belongs to him. The areas that I can't figure out and that I don't understand, that I just, God, I have so many questions about this. Why, 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 why? Those things, I may not understand him, but I sure trust him in those because there isn't any other better way that we can go than to trust him with our whole heart. So does he have your heart, your whole heart, this morning? And if not, will you give it to him now? The time is now. If so, then I want you to pray with me right now. Everybody close your eyes. I invite you to pray with me right now. And if you can say, yes, he has my whole heart, then I ask you to pray with us. And if you just are ready to give him your heart right now, pray with us too. Lord, I've heard your call. And I want to give you my whole heart right now. I believe you gave your life for me on the cross. And that you didn't stay in the grave. But you rose from the dead on the third day. I believe that's historical fact. You did it all so I could have life. So give me the life you have for me. Baptize and fill me with your spirit. And give me a heart to obey. Because I love you. Amen. Amen. I'd like to ask the worship team to come back up.